Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, uh, just just by show of hands, um, who's uh, who's the prominent species on the planet? Is there uh, somebody out front? Is there is there a, a species that's at the top of the pyramid, as if there's a pyramid? Would it be as humans? I think uh, the sleepers are are whales and dolphins. But um, what I'm getting at here is us, the humans, uh, we, the people, we, the humans. We have such a, a monologue running <clears throat> running in our heads. We spend uh, so much of our life focusing on human events. And that's probably a good thing since we're human, right? But in order for you to to interact with life, with nature, there's going to be other species. There's going to be other animals. There's going to be plants and even the mineral world. I suggest as we awaken our consciousness, as we awaken our, um, perhaps I'd say the relationship with our soul, and we shift our day-to-day thinking, our moment-to-moment thinking, perhaps out of our brains and into our hearts and into our soul, that we're going to not be such a, a, a species so focused on itself. And I'm not, I'm not beating up on humanity. I mean, if you, if you live in a, a city of people, you're going to run into people and you're going to get in cars and drive around in traffic with people and you're going to communicate with people and that's just fine. But again, I suggest that as we awaken the other species, the other inhabitants of this planet will become uh, um, more equal to us in in the sense that we can have conversations with them, that we can have a, a deeper interaction, a deeper relationship with them. And uh, what I like about tonight's show is uh, our guest tonight, Joan Ranquist, has written a book, uh, Communication with All Life. She's written several books. But the topic tonight is Communication with All Life. Doesn't that sound like a divine design? Doesn't that sound like a a place we're going to evolve into, hopefully, eventually? What can we learn from... The animals, I mean, technically, I guess we qualify as animals, but what could we learn? What could we, what could we learn that would uh, help us come into balance with ourselves, come into balance with nature, come into balance with the earth, come into balance with all of life? We've kind of seen what ego overdosing has done. If we look at the past several hundred years and even farther, when we overdose on our egos, the cart tips over. We have war. We have um, all manner of duress. It's uh, it's kind of hard to miss the pain and suffering that's been going on on this planet. But I think we should get to it because... Joan has such an extensive 
and vast experience in this field, I'm, I'm really excited to listen to what she has to say. Again, our topic tonight is communicate, communication with all life, and our guest is Joan Ranquist. Animal communicator, TEDx speaker, Hay House and Sounds True author, educator, and animal parent, Joan Ranquit leads an inspired life. It's no surprise MSN deemed her as one of the top 25 people who do what they love. Joan has connected with animals professionally for over 25 years and personally for as long as she can remember. Her calling has led her to work with hundreds of thousands of animal guardians, trainers, barn managers, and vets, teaching them animal communication through workshops, wildlife retreats, and private sessions. Join me in welcoming Joan to the show. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So right off the top, who's more interesting to communicate, animals or humans? <laughs> well, I think at this point, um, we we probably are. I think they've been trying to communicate with us for years. And then, you know, as it turns out, they kind of gave up. And now we're like, wait a minute. We want to communicate, so I think it's gone back and forth. When you uh, when you look at like if you look at a particular species, um, like a Chihuahua dog, um, it seems like there's something inherent in their nature where they're. Um, bark is bigger than their bite, perhaps. Um, do you see a really um, um, are you ever surprised when you meet a chihuahua or or an, an another animal that behaves outside of the traditional characteristics that that species has? I mean, have you ever you know what I mean it it's like uh, I guess I'm asking how much of our personality is decided by our species and how much of it is a, a individual aspect of ourselves as it relates to animals. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's both, right? Like everybody has a personality and then there's some little defining things like, um, you know, the border collie wants to herd everybody and the, lab usually likes to swim and then of course there's the lab that doesn't swim and the border collie that's you know lazy so i think you know you there are certain determining factors about breeds and and then you know you then you've got an individual under all of that so each one's unique absolutely so, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Do you find pets have um, advice for their owners? I mean, if an owner is uh, is is missing something, have you have you gone to work with the owner and the pet, and the pet's like, "Hey, we've we've got some real problems here. Let me tell you." No, because you know what? Animals are loyal and they're really, it's it's more like that sort of thing gets revealed in the situation, but animals are very loyal to us, you know, painfully. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to see that maybe a behavior is as a result of something that's going on with the human, but they don't out them like that. Are they are they loyal to each other? Um, I know that all of my dogs uh, are very loyal to each other, and my dogs are loyal to my cats. And yeah, it's a family. There's uh, 
there's a show about a, a horse whisperer called Buck. And yeah. it and in that show there's one particular scene where this horse uh, rears up and is looking to crack this guy's head open. And 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 he's re- the horse is like totally pissed off and wants to do some serious harm to this man. How uh, how often have you met animals that have a like a convict or a criminal disposition? I I don't think like I, I don't think of that horse as have it being like in that specific case that horse was simply reactive and so I don't think of them as having that I think um, they are very again they're very loyal and they, they aren't I mean of course you hear about these like rogue lions that kill and don't eat their uh, prey but for the most part animals are pretty efficient with their energy and they're going to do only what's needed, right? And if if somebody is that reactionary, then either something really bad happened or they could very well have some sort of a head injury to be that, mm-hmm. that reactive. Yeah. Right. Well... Well, we're talking about horses. I, I, uh, for myself, I just love the horse archetype. I mean, uh, I think most of our listeners have probably heard of uh, Sea Biscuit or Secretariat. Um, Secretariat. If if you haven't heard of Secretariat, um, and you might expand on this more. Uh, Secretariat was a kind of a come from behind horse. In the United States, we have what's called a the Triple Crown, and it's uh, it's three races, uh, horse races. And uh, what makes Secretariat so popular is not only did Secretariat win all three races, but in the very last race. And and this is the part that I just love. It's like the horse um, just threw away what was normal or capable of a horse and won the race by like, I think it was 21 lengths. In other words, the horse had been running the top of the, the, the cream of the crop, the, the most uh, powerful race horses there were. I mean, you don't get to the triple crown by losing races, these are the top horses competing in three races. And in the final race, Secretariat said, why are we all going so slow when we can go faster? What do you think of Secretariat? Um, So at this point in my life, I don't love the horse racing industry, what it's turned into, but I feel like that's one of those fairy tales that I, I absolutely adore. And I, I've read everything there is to know about Secretariat because I love thoroughbreds. And what I feel like he really was, was uh, that was like the most magical team, right? It was like the trainer, the owner, the groom, and the horse. They all really just had this giant comeback story. They, Yeah, like you said, they came from behind. But together, they were a miracle team. And that was a guy that listened to that horse and that was a horse that when given the opportunity to be heard, to be seen for who he really was, they were able to pull off a miracle. And then as it turns out by really looking at who this horse was, and I think Penny Wood, what, what's, I forget her last name, won the horse in a coin cost coin a coin toss and uh the anyway the thing like you said he went he went faster than any horse has ever gone and he continued to run after the race was over and he had won by so much he just kept running and running and running because he loved to run and thoroughbreds love to run and they're 
very competitive with each other. And so that was just an animal that was set up for his perfect situation, um, you know, to just be in his complete glory. Um, but unfortunately, we have really exploited the horse industry and the horse because of that, because we've taken what they naturally do and exploited it, which is they love to run and they love to compete with each, compete with each other. And they're very playful about it, you know. It's sort of like they look at each other and go, hey, I'm going to win. Oh, yeah? No, I'm going to win. And they're <laughs> off. <laughs> well, I mean, um, like it, if we look at what humanity is going through now, um, there's a lot of struggle going on. There's a lot of upheaval in our in our human story, our human narrative. And what I what I just like about the horse archetype is, I mean, and secretary is such a good example. The the heart of the horse, the the passion of the horse, the focus, the perhaps courage that says, I don't care what the situation is. In other words, Secretariat seemed to just transcend what was expected to happen, transcend the, perhaps the old narrative of, well, all the fastest horses will arrive within a few lengths of each other, or at least perhaps the top two or three, and and just shatters that. and. And I think humanity is kind of looking for a, I've, I've heard enough background noise. I've heard enough mudslinging. I've heard a, enough uh, lies or whatever. And, and we want to kind of break through that, that chaos in our, in our own culture. And, and I really like the horse archetype as an example of how we might do that. Well, one thing also to be said about um, it, um, Secretariat, which is, you know, people don't talk about. His heart, his physical heart, is on display at the Horse Museum in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's because, you know, they thoroughbreds naturally have the biggest heart of all the horses, of all, of all horse breeds. But he had the biggest heart that anybody had ever seen. He literally had the biggest heart. And we're talking about the physical heart, but there's the the intangible aspect of the heart of animals. When you go, um, when you work with people and their horses or pets, um, do, do you notice the the heart? of our pets, the heart of our animals tend to be how they think. In other words, they're not so much in their head, but they're they're more of a, a, a heart-centered persona. Yeah, what I like to say is that humans' superpower is logic, and that's how we've um, you know, that's been the good news and the bad news, right? We've, we've had, um, we've been able to build skyscrapers and create girdles and also, you know, all sorts of toaster ovens, um, some cool stuff, some not so cool stuff. And then animals, their superpower is instinct. And I think somewhere in there, it, when when blended together, that's a pretty magical combination, and that's why we need each other. Uh, but instinct sometimes can get them into trouble, um, like that horse you mentioned at the beginning of the, when you talked about that horse in the documentary Buck, you know, his instinct was to run and to get away. And, you know, he made some poor choices. And then, you know, Logic doesn't always work so well for humans. And, and like you said, you know, we're living in this crazy turmoil right now. And that, that's all pretty preventable if we were really in our hearts. And to be, to be more uh, intuitive, more instinctual with 
our choices, perhaps, and get out of our heads? Yeah. Definitely. How often do do you get called out for animal uh, behavioral issues, and it turns out that the animal's just fine, and the 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 issues with the owner or the human? Well, I mean, the truth is, um, it's a a co-creation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, uh, it is absolutely true that it it could be the human thing, but it's the humans. You know, the humans having a challenge, like maybe they've they're very stressed and so it's the animals are taking on the stress but on the other side of that is you know the animal kind of signed up for that so um you know it's it's it goes both ways right i think it's really easy for us i just so I have a school for animal communication, and I just always encourage my students not to go quite down the human blame game because at some point, you know, people are going to get defensive and then they're not going to listen to you, and then we aren't able to do our job. And so it's it's important that we look at all of it, um, I guess is what I would say. Right. Well, we talked the other day on the phone, and... Um, I'm just curious if you have some stories about animals. I think I asked you if you were surprised by animal behavior, and you said in the beginning you were, but not so much anymore. Do you have examples of stories of animals that have um, stuck in your mind over the years? Yeah, I have a lot of stories. Um, even just the other day, I had um, I helped a woman. She called and said, you know, that her horse was not getting in the horse trailer anymore, and that it, you know, was really kind of having a a, a meltdown. And so when I communicated with the horse, I got a sense. And she said, we've never had an accident, so I know that, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't as a result of some sort of trauma from a a trailer accident, right? Right. So I ended up um, connecting with the horse and he, she told me that, um, you know, she loved all the things like the going to the horse shows, she loves the um, sense of being in, um, you know, where she got to be, where she and her person would work um, in a clinic, in riding lessons, in training, and that she had a big personality when she would do these things, right? Like she would just kind of glow and um, just really enjoyed being a um a show off and that that she was a little bit naughty but that she you know just all these things that led me to 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 know that she's not doing this for a behavioral issue there's, there's something bigger and so when i connected with her about the idea of what happens when you get in the trailer in the horse trailer and um she showed me that she uh that when she got in the trailer it got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and she felt really confined and trapped and that um when she did um that was the sort of thing that made her not want to get in the trailer because it just freaked her out and the woman said immediately oh she was taken from the um BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, and that she was um, completely 
um, you know, she had, that's how they got the Mustangs off the land was they put them in a small confined area and trapped them. And so it made so much sense why, you know, then the trailer would feel like that sort of a confined area. And that, you know, it's those sort of stories that, uh, you know, make my world go round because I, I love that, that, you know, we can find out exactly why somebody is, you know, not doing something or, and then, you know, we can address it. So when, when you talk about talking to the horses, now I'm, I'm, how 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 does that communication happen i mean do you do you talk to it in sentences or i mean how does that back and forth happen how how did the horse you asked the horse how did that happen and then how did the horse say well it the trailer's too small i don't like it so animal communication the way that i do it is um through um, telepathy, which is the transference of pictures, words, and feelings. And um, in so when I asked about the um, the trailer, it, it came in the form of pictures, where it was just like. It was smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, whereas it felt like words when she was like, I'm a show-off, you know? So it's mm-hmm. all different. So if we talk about pets, and pets kind of have an ongoing relationship with us, but, like, if if you go to the park and there's like wild birds and whatnot, I mean, um, do you, are you able to communicate with them or do they tend to be open to communication through telepathy or do they pretty much ignore us because we ignore them? It's a little bit of both, you know, it's sort of like, you know, if you go to the mall, you're not going to talk to everybody. Um, and I think of like being at a park and being out in nature and, you know, some animals are going to be interested in us and some are not. Um, you know, I'm very careful about um, not invading someone's space and on the one hand, and then I also, um, yeah, so I'm very careful about that. And I, I, um, them determine the relationship, so to speak. Do you, is, is there, uh, I, I know you said that our pets are, are pretty much loyal and as such, they're not going to um, be critical, so to speak, of us. But is there a common um, uh, points of conflict between humans and their pets. I mean, if you went and and visited a hundred pet owners, do you see an underlying theme of what are common problems? I mean, the one I always used to joke that people call me so that they're um, because they're. Uh, dog is biting the neighbor, their cat being out of the box, and their horse won't jump the jump, but it's still, um, you know, it's always, always, always an individual thing. Individual within the pet? Uh, Yeah. Um, Uh... If you were to look at why this horse doesn't want to jump and why another horse doesn't want to jump, it's going to be for two different reasons. Oh, I see. Now, 
I've heard sometimes I've heard that people have gone um, horseback riding, and it's like uh, I don't remember stories specifically, but they might be thrown from their horse, and the way they land turns out to be beneficial to the the human. Like they had a ulcer they didn't know about, they had a a physical problem they didn't know about. Do our pets, are they able to kind of like read our body or read our health and know what we might need? Yeah, some are. I mean, it's it's sort of the same thing as humans in that some are really talented that way and some are not. I mean, you know, nobody's telling me I've got something wrong around here. So hopefully mine are all really good uh, medical intuitives and I'm fine. Right. Well, do you you have other stories that you want to share about animals that that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, one of the ways that I really love doing this work is um, at the end of life. And I've had several situations where, you know, uh, an animal was absolutely... Um, well, one of my favorite stories is this friend of mine, Frank, called me. And this is in my first book, In Communication with All Life. My friend Frank called me and he said, Joan, I think I have to put the dog down today or in the next few days. He's, he's, I think he's dying. And I said, well, um, okay, I'm happy to talk to him. And he said, oh, would you? And I said, sure. So I connected with the dog and... He said, um, his name was Christian, and Christian said that um, he wasn't ready to go. And then I got a sense that there was something going on in the lungs, but it wasn't cancer, and that he really just, uh, he said flat out, I want a party. So we, I told Frank this, and Frank thought it was a little crazy, but the next thing you know, Frank takes the dog to the vet, and it's just pneumonia. The dog isn't dying. He brings the dog home, and he throws a giant birthday party for him. And um, Christian hadn't walked that well for months because he was just slowing down. He was an older golden retriever. And when he heard them starting to sing happy birthday, he got up from the corner and ran over to the birthday cake and howled through the whole song. They had it on video. It was so crazy. <laughs> and it was so great. And then um, and then he died, you know, probably a couple months later, but it was literally he got his he got to have his cake and eat it too. So that was pretty great. Um, I have, you know, story, uh, I have so many stories. I, sometimes I, I run out of memory because I've, I've stacked so many in there. But, um, you know, I've definitely helped with... Um, People that are in, you know, that do dog shows or horse shows or um, I was able to work with a horse that was, has gone to, I've worked with several horses that have been in the Olympics Um, and I've worked with race horses. I've worked with um, many just average pet owners like that guy, Frank. Um, I've had many stories where um, like one I also do something called EFT emotional freedom technique tapping and my latest book is about is about that where we tap on the animals and I recently went and worked with some um, animals that uh, in the shelter that were that seemed to be kind of unadoptable and when I worked with them, we used the animal communication and the EFT, the emotional freedom technique tapping. And so many of those animals have been adopted. So that's been very, very, very exciting. Nice. Well, now, with with the animals in your house and your, uh, your strong connection with them, 
How is your life different? In other words, as you go throughout your day and you're interacting with your pets in a, in a much more uh, direct communication sort of way versus people who don't think that they can communicate, how does your life look like when when you're when you have a dynamic conversation with your pets all throughout the day? Well, I mean, it, it's like anything else. Um, you know, if you've ever been married or, you know, have kids, like sometimes you have long periods where you're not talking, but you know what the other one is doing and, you, and you're just kind of in a, a great groove, if you will. And so it, what I try to do is be uh, available to be in that groove and to communicate, you know, whatever they need to. And one of the great things that it does is, um, like, for example, with barking, I can, they can bark at something outside. I just go to the window and I go, oh, what is it? And then it's like they show me and then they're done barking. We don't have, like, hours of barking like a lot of people do. Um, another way that it's really great is that it saves me in vet bills because I pretty much know if something is not, you know, um, if it's something that I can do healing around, an unbelievable benefit. Um, I know immediately when somebody's upset or, you know, if dogs, like two of my cats pick on one of the other cats and, you know, I'm able to kind of stop it before it gets started. Um, so all sorts of ways that it's so beneficial to be in that groove with my animals. Nice. Now, when you hold classes, do you teach uh, laymen how to uh, be telepathic with their animals? Absolutely. I have everything from uh, $47 classes to um, really big investments into that becoming a, a career as a certification. So I have certification programs, but lots of things um, for the average person. There go my dog. <laughs> they want to be on the show. That's right. Well, um, so how long does it, I mean, the, if I'm a listener and I have pets or I work with horses or I work with dogs or, or whatnot, um, what is what would a typical, um, um, it, how much time does it typically take? I know everybody's different and, and whatnot, but it, do you find that people can learn how to be telepathic um, rather easily or... Do some people have yeah. trouble with it? No, I have I have so many methods of getting people doing it very quickly. I mean, it, I've been teaching since 1998. And so what I like to do is get people going immediately. But in terms of being a professional, then that's a whole different, like my course is about two years long. But just getting going with it, just being able to communicate with an animal, we can do that in less than an hour. We can do it in 10 minutes. Nice. Well, uh, so do you, do you work like uh, you were sharing stories about people uh, calling you like the dog that had the birthday party? Do you do that remotely or is everything in person? Um, that was remotely. Most of the things are remotely. Um, I love to go into barns and work with people, and I love to go over to people's homes. But for the most part, yeah, my work is pretty much remote. Well, so if our listeners want to work with you, why don't you take some time now and and talk about your books, talk about the classes, the services you have, your website, Share with the listeners uh, all about yourself so they, they know how to engage. 
So uh, once a month I still do sessions. I'm not uh, where I would talk to your animal, and I'm I because I'm more of a school, and I'm really focused on the school. The school takes up a lot of energy, and it's and it's fun. Um, but I do do sessions once a month, and you would just go to my website and fill out a form. Um, and then for uh, the school, um, there's lots of classes on the website. So you could take anything from a little digital course to the two-year program and everything in between. Like we just got done with a, a nine-day intensive where it was partly in person and a lot of people online. And it was uh, three days of animal communication, three days of death, dying, and beyond, and then three days of energy healing for animals. And then in the spring, I do three days of animal communication, three days of EFT tapping, and three days of animal communication in sanctuaries. But we also always have an ongoing, like on Tuesdays, there's advanced animal communication for behavior and and relationship challenges, and then medical intuition, and then Wednesdays we have a beginning class, and then Thursdays we have energy healing for animals. So we're like a regular university. We've got so many classes going and so many fun fun ways for people to um, connect with animals and be very powerful uh, on their own. And what books do you have? Communication with All Life, Revelations of an Animal Communicator, and that's with Hay House. And then my second book is Energy Healing for Animals, and that one is with Sounds True. And my third book is um, Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals and Their Humans, and that is um, with Fintorn Press. And do you want to share your website? Sure. My website is Joan Ranquette, J-O-A-N-R-A-N-Q-U-E-T dot com. Well, very nice. An hour can go by pretty fast. Uh, I've enjoyed this episode. Do, do you have any closing thoughts about uh, our relationship with animals that you want to share with the audience? Well, I mean, I feel so lucky because I have um, three dogs, three cats, and four horses, and I get to, you know, enjoy. I work from home, obviously, teaching the school, and I get to be with them, you know, all the time. Um, And I take people on wildlife trips, so other than when I'm on a wildlife trip, I'm here. Um, But I... I feel like in many ways, if we were to really look at, like I was talking about, that our household can have that kind of groove, if you will, um, that where we're all just kind of in harmony, if we were to look at really perfecting that in our homes, our homes are like a little Petri dish, if you will, for what is possible out in the world. And so it's a great place to really focus on that peace and harmony and being with them in a really magical way. And, you know, that just will carry over to other humans. Well, very nice. Uh, Joan, thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. I've really enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Joan Ranquit, and the topic tonight has been communication with all life. It's. Uh, I think humanity is is coming out of perhaps the dark ages in the sense that um, we've lived in our heads so long, we've lived in our perhaps our ego so long, and certainly not all of us. It's not like I'm like it's a blanket statement, but for many of us, um, the idea of interacting outside of our our human relationships just isn't front and center with uh, what we might think um, our life could be. There's there's a book, well, it's actually several books that I've mentioned several times on the show, 
And the reason I mention it several times is it's a really powerful um, series of books. And the first book is called Anastasia, and they're all written by a a Russian riverboat captain, Vladimir McGeer. And the books are written about the woman, Anastasia. And in um, there's like, I want to say, eight or nine books in the series, but... In that, in those books, um, Vladimir talks about how Anastasia interacts with with animals. Um, Vladimir discovers or meets for the first time Anastasia because he's a riverboat captain. The river takes him into the deep back woods of of Russia, far from the city far from the city, where um, the natural habitat is perhaps quite different than um, what might be near the city. And uh, on so many levels, um, Anastasia demonstrates um, telekinesis, teleportation, all manner of, of what we might call miracles, and she, and she's on the planet now. But her interaction with the the animals of the forest is really um, remarkable. I mean, it's um, kind of like what Joan was saying about interacting with the animals in her house. Anastasia was interacting with her friends, these are animals she interacts with all the time, um, in the setting of the forest. And I think as we wake up, as we evolve, as we raise our consciousness, we're going to inherently come out of our, uh, what should I call it, the human cocoon, the human bubble that perhaps we've lived in, in a general sense, where pretty much 100% of our dialogue in our head, our narrative is human-to-human thoughts, human-to-human interactions. And uh, I remember the uh, working in TV, I keep seeing shows that stick in my mind there was a show about elephants. And um, when a flood would come, the elephants would know that the flood is coming. And they'd walk up to the hillside and just stop. They'd walk up to the hillside and just stop, and they wouldn't have to move, and the water would come right up to them, but not any farther. It's like the elephants knew how much water was coming. And then the water would subside, and the elephants would go on their way. But in in the human world, when we're disconnected from our environment, when we're disconnected with the animals around us, we have no flipping clue what's going on with the water. We have no flipping clue with with um, what's about to happen, so to speak. So part of the reason why I asked Joan to come on the show was to share her extensive 25-plus years of communicating with animals that we might get a glimpse of how we might shift how we see ourselves with with either the pets in our house or the animals in the neighborhood to to start popping that bubble and and see ourselves in a more uh, harmonious interaction like Joan was saying her household had had a a, a rhythm to it had a a flow to it and doesn't that sound like nature to have a flow to it, to have a harmony to it. If we're going to have heaven on earth, that really sounds like a fundamental component to heaven on earth, to, to acknowledge and, 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 and recognize that we live in a sea of animals, a sea of species, a sea of 
perspectives and understandings and to to uh, come out of our human cocoon, so to speak. And so I, I chose this episode for just that reason, so we can see ourselves in a new light, in a bigger picture, in a in a broader stroke of the brush, so to speak. As you go throughout your day, um, start noticing animals that you might not have noticed, and um, and shift your perspective from a human in a human world to an to a, a personality a human personality but a personality in a sea of personalities from all kinds of species i think humanity's poised for uh, i think when the the desires of our heart humanity's heart is really wanting a more intentional future, a more sustainable future, a more uh, harmonious idea of how we can live on this planet. I think our our interaction with animals will be a, a fundamental part of that. Well, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us tonight. I always appreciate spending this time with you. Until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.